I'd like that the Lord will speak to you, speak to us together. Not just you as an individual, but we as a body, community, together. Pray for yourself. Father, we are here by your grace, listening to the prayer of our Lord for us and for all who will believe. We pray that even at this time, God, the Holy Spirit, will take complete control, speak to us to change us, speak to us to renew our hope. Speak to us to renew our strength. We pray for brothers and sisters traveling and well at work. That wherever they may find themselves, they wouldn't lose sight of the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sense of belonging to you through Christ and to your body, the community of believers will dawn on them. That the wind of the Spirit of the living God will blow over them wherever they are. We pray that that will be our experience as well as we look into your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Now, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Most of us know and understand the call to discipleship. We know that at the heart of our call to discipleship is prayer, isn't it? We all pray. We have just finished our one week of prayer and fasting. Prayer, prayer, prayer. I mean, this morning, even as we have been together, the service has been full of prayer. We have been praying at the beginning. We have prayed in the middle. We will pray now and then we'll pray in the end. So we understand that the call to discipleship has to do with the practice of prayer. We pray to the Lord. And this morning, what was read for us, what has just been read for us, is the Lord's own prayer, the Lord Jesus praying. And we'll come to that in a minute. But what we need to realize, what I want us to understand, is that in our practice of discipleship, usually we have emphasized the call to prayer. Disciples of the Lord Jesus must pray. Disciples of the Lord Jesus must read the word. Disciples of the Lord Jesus must evangelize. But I'll just focus on prayer. We talk about that. And when we are not praying, we feel bad because we ought to pray. We believe that that is part of our call to prayer. There is something about prayer that we don't think of in the course of discipleship. We don't think of as much. And this morning, it is not so much that we pray, but it is that we are being prayed for. We as believers are being prayed for. And usually, because we are so preoccupied with what we can do for God, we do not take time to reflect so much on what he has done for us, and therefore, the prayer that he prays for us. 
Jesus is praying here in John 17. He's praying, and actually we will see in a minute that the prayer is divided first. He prays for himself, he prays for the immediate uh, disciples, and then he prays for all disciples that will follow across the ages and time. All who will put their trust in him. Think about it. The Lord Jesus prays for them. He intercedes for them. He is their advocate. So let me introduce you to Jesus' prayer for his disciples in a minute as we look briefly into John chapter 17. I come to John chapter 17 as has happened to me with the entire week with such fear and trembling because in the prayer, the Lord is revealing such eternal deep truths about his heart to us. Can you imagine? This is Jesus praying. Jesus, this is Jesus praying on behalf of his people to the Father. So his prayer is going to reveal his heart. He's going to reveal his deepest desires and plans for his people. In a sense, we're going to hear the things that, that Jesus thinks for this particular moment is most important. Now, we know that if you read from chapter 13, right? Chapter 13 of John, um, uh, John's gospel. You realize that Jesus and his disciples are where? They are in the upper room. This is the Passover celebration. Um, he's about to die. He uses the expression, the hour has come. It's not like it's 10 o'clock. The hour has come for him to be crucified. And then, subsequently, three days later, for him to be raised from the dead. And so this is a very, very, very crucial moment. This is a very important time for him. He is physically about to leave his disciples. The hour has come. And here's the interesting thing. He's about to leave and he knows what the Christian life is going to be like. He knows what it will mean to be in the world as a Christian, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about the task ahead. He's thinking about the mission ahead, which is his mission, by the way. And yet he understands the world. And he's going to leave these guys, men and women, in the world to be his people. His heart goes out to his brothers and sisters, if you like. And then he prays for them. Listen to some of the things he says about the experience in the world. He says that the world system is going to come after them. This world system that is against God. Chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, he tells them, still in the upper room, keep in mind that it hates, hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He's explaining things to them. It's not about you. It's about me. They hate me, and therefore, they will hate you. 16 verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, just imagine the Lord. This is a very intense emotional moment. The Lord, with these guys that he's been sharing time with at this time, 
and he's revealing realities. He's not sugarcoating anything. He's telling them as it is. In this world, you are going to have trouble. And then he says that Satan will come after you. The enemy, the evil one will come after you. And that is within his prayer, 17 verse 15. My prayer, he says to the Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Why would he pray that you protect them from the evil one? Because the evil one will go after them. He will go after the church. He will go after the body of Christ. He will go after individual believers. And as he has said all these things, we are told, when Jesus has spoken these things, chapter 17, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and prayed and said. Now, picture this moment. And, and, and for me, as I looked at this in the whole of the week, I was sharing uh, a bit of that with Gifty. And I was saying to her how it feels to me like almost heaven had descended reading the Lord's Prayer here in John chapter 17. And you couldn't take it. And your, your, your knees are wobbly because the weight of the glory that he shows here is so much. He lifts his voice and the, believer, the disciples were hearing it. This is not one of those moments where he went to a secluded place and there he prayed. This he was teaching them. He was talking to them about the reality. And after he had said all these things, they were sitting around table. He lifted up his voice. He looks at heaven. And then he prays this prayer for them. What does he pray? We're not going to go so much into the first one. That would take us another. What does he pray? The first part of his prayer, he prays that... The Father will reveal the Son's glory, and the Son will reveal the Father's glory. There will be a display of the glory of God, basically. Father, glorify your Son, the hour has come, so that your Son will glorify you. And when you read on, the resulting effect is that God's people will be blessed. As the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and there is this within the Trinity, this glory that is moving about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Over here, the focus is on Father, Son. His people are blessed. And so he prays. That is his primary focus. That as this goes on, the people will experience what it means that the Son is glorified. In fact, the glory he is talking about here in this immediate place where he's talking about, it's not that he will wear uh, royal robes and sit on the throne. The way Jesus is glorified is on the cross. The hour has come. You're going to glorify me. The foolishness as the world sees the, clo- the cross, that is where the glory is going to be displayed. And then the resurrection. The glory of God is going to be seen. And Jesus is praying that. And he will show us that. Why? In a minute. After he has prayed that glorify the Son and let the Son glorify you, then he goes on to pray for his disciples. What does he pray for his disciples? He prays that the Father might keep them safe in this world. Look at verse 11 of 17. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, by the power of your character. That is the idea of name. By the power of your nature. 
the name you gave me, we share in that name, so that they may be one as we are one. Would you, Father, please keep them safe? Verse 15 and 16. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Keep them safe. We're likely to think, isn't it, naturally, that keep them safe will simply means, and it is true, it is here, keep them safe from the evil one. That his main focus is actually to keep them safe from the evil one. His main focus is not so much that. He tells them what he is hoping that the Father will keep them safe in something. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. No, verse 11, pardon me. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So what is he talking about? What he's talking about is this. And that is strange. When I first saw it, I was surprised. Protect them to hold on to your character, the power of your name. Protect them by the power of your name. Protect them in that name. Let them hold on to that name. And the name is not just a nomenclature. It's not just that God is called Samuel Boati. He's not called Samuel Boati. But that is not what he's talking about. He's talking about more than that. Because his name connotes the whole host of who God is. Protect them. Let them stay there. Let them not wander off. Protect them by the power of your name. The other one that he talks about, and it's actually in verse um, 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. You see, you see the very thing that he's praying for, the very thing that is on his heart as he prayed that they are kept safe, that they will keep this word that he has given to them. I have given them this word, the word you gave me, the word we share. They have accepted them. May they continue to accept them. They are with certainty that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. They have believed that you sent me for a particular purpose, to save eternal life, to, to give it. And later Paul talks about it, isn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. Let them hold to these things, protect them, keep them safe in these words. I have given them the gospel. May they stay in the gospel and not wander off. They were once in the, they are in the world, they were once of the world. Now they are not of the world. The world will go after them. Please protect them. And here's the other thing that he's praying for, the, the other reality, verse 18. He said that I am sending them out, just as you sent me. I'm sending them out. I'm sending them out to this world that is hostile. Would you please protect them? Now, not here that specifically within this, what, in the story of what is happening, let's not jump to us too quickly. He's praying for these disciples who are the, the first disciples who have surrounded him sitting with them. Of course, he's praying for us too, but we'll come there. But he's praying for these immediate disciples. He has given them the word he received from the Father. He is sending them into the world to make this word, this gospel known, 
so that the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father will be revealed in the world. The world will come to know it. The world will come to see it. And so his prayer, forget about us for a moment, is these, the, these ones who are sitting around table, he is interceding for them. He's praying for them. And you can almost picture Peter, James, John, and Matthew, and all the other guys, and the women who will be around Mary, Mary Magdalene, and all these people, as they listen, I don't know whether they shut their eyes or not. I can't picture it, but they had it. And he was praying for them. Oh, the word. Oh, that your name, they will hold on to. They will hold on to. They will not wander off. Have you asked yourself this question? How is it that the apostles and all these early disciples, how is it that they persevered to the end? How is it that they were able to, I mean, persevere in the midst of all that and have this word that Jesus received from the Father passed on to them and they have handed it over to us in the pages of Scripture. You can go into many other things, but here, let me say to us that they persevered to the end because Jesus prayed for them. Jesus' prayer is answered. At this point, they don't even understand what he's talking about. There are many of the things he's talking about. In fact, if you read on earlier, I think in 16 or 15, they say, oh, now you are talking plainly. At first, you were talking figuratively. Now we, are, we, we, we can hear plain language. He's praying for them. The reason they persevered, the reason they went forward, yeah, it's because they persevered. It's because they did what they had to do. But primarily, it is because their intercessor and advocate, the Lord Jesus, prayed for them. He prayed for them a prayer they could never have imagined to pray for themselves. He prayed for them. And then Jesus does something really incredible in this prayer. Something really amazing. And that is what I meant by you approach this, especially to preach it with such fear and trembling. He looks into the future. He looks into the ages to come, the millennia that will follow. And then he sees all these believers who will come on account of the word that they will hear about Jesus written and proclaimed and believe and put your trust in him. And then the pattern will continue like that. And then he turns his attention and he prays for them. He says, my prayer, verse 20, is not for them. For who? For them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The community of believers across the centuries. And what does he pray? He prays, verse 23, just to cut it short. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Listen, even as you loved me. You didn't hear that. No, you didn't hear that. This is absolutely staggering. I promise you, the way you're staring at me shows that you didn't hear it. So I read it again. I in me, I in them, Jesus in them, and you, Father, in me, so that they may, be, they may be brought to complete unity, whatever that means. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you hear what he's saying? 
The world will see that the way the Father loves these people, you and I, and all believers who have gone ahead of us, and those who will come after us, that God has loved them, but he has loved them in the same way that he has loved Christ. That is what I'm surprised that you're not surprised. Because I was so shocked that he must be joking. You mean that God has loved me in the same measure, quality and quantity, that he has loved his only begotten son, the sinless one, who perfectly obeyed God, and all his life's focus was the glory of God, that the Father may be glorified. That is how he lived. He lived so perfectly. The reason Jesus lived so perfectly and earned every glory, which is his anyway, it's not so much that he did so many good things and healed people. Praise the Lord. He did that, and they mean so much. But that every aspect of his life was lived with the focus of glorifying God. He, if you say that you, if the father loves him, I understand. It makes sense. But to extend that and say that for those of us who are in him, I in them, he is in us, we are in him. Our lives are in union with him by faith. And that he has loved us in the same way he has loved the son. And Jesus is the one who is praying it. Let the world see that these people, these unimpressive people, you are impressive, maybe I'm not, that I have loved them, that you have loved them in the same way as you have loved me. But when I was preparing, I was hoping that when I read that passage, somebody would say, no way. <laughs> but nobody said no way. Maybe when you ponder, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me, even as you have loved me. Brothers and sisters, would you please think about this in the course of the week? Even as you have loved the Son, in the same way you have loved me. Jesus knows all the challenges the world we will face in this world. He knows everything. Right now in your mind, just be listing all the challenges we are facing as a church, we're facing with all the pressures you're facing as an individual. And he's basically doing this. He's praying for the most important thing that we will need to persevere to the end. What is that most important thing that we will need to persevere to the end? It is this. That we will know that we are loved by God in the same way as he has loved the son. That is what we need. That is what we need to sink into our hearts. And that is why he prays it. Oh, if I get this, if I grow in my understanding of how much he has loved me and continue to love me, I will worry less about what people think of me. I will worry much less about wanting to impress or look significant. You have been loved by the God of all the universe as much as he has loved his son. It means that I'll be able to forgive more, easier. Because I've been loved. I am loved. And that is why Jesus prays it. I in them and you in me so that they might be. And then you might be thinking about this just on the individual term, level. Yes, it is true 
but he prays it also for us together. So for you as an individual, as you go into the week, know this. But for us too, for us too, as a people of God gathered here this morning, and I hope all the others who are gathering across the world, who will be gathering later because of time differences, that we as a community will know this. God loves us in the same way as he loves Jesus. And we are surprised because only Jesus deserves the Father's love. God doesn't love you. He never loved you ultimately on the basis of you. If he did on the basis of you, what is going to happen is, on the basis of what? That the Father loved you on the basis of you. He looks at you and says, there is something in there that, uh, that is making me love you. Let's assume it is how well you are doing. Do well, but let's assume it is how well you're doing. To what measure? So maybe the father will decide that to the measure that you are able to please me, to that measure I will love you. So if you please me this, I will love you this. If you please me that, I will love you that. That is not it. He loves us on the basis of Christ. And it is out of that love that we seek to please the father. We never live in order to win his love. It will strangle us. Because we are loved deeply by him in Jesus. Oh, now we are set free. It has to be in Jesus. It is in him that we experience the fullness of God's love. And so what Jesus prays, Paul will later also take it and talk about it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then I'll push to a finish. He says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, Jesus' glory, are being transformed into his image with increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What he's saying is this. Because we experience this love of God, it is this love of God that we experience in Jesus and through Jesus. It is in him that, that we, we come to that realization. Is that how much God has loved us? It is only when we gaze at Jesus. It is only when we look intently at his beauty and trust in him and depend on him that we are changed by that same love. It's a love that transforms. So somebody would say, somebody would argue that, oh, so we are saying that God loves me, which is a very common argument. You're saying that oh, God loves us, and because God loves us, we go on to do everything that, anything that we want. Well, that can't be so. This love, when it captivates you, when you look at Jesus and you experience it, it changes you. No one contemplates Jesus. No one experiences this love of God in Christ and remains the same. It changes you. There is a different motivation to be holy, to be sanctified. It is that we have experienced an amazing love of God in Jesus. And so we look to Jesus, and as we look to him and trust him, we are moved to love God in return. Let me read for you again Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 
to 19. He's going to pray about this same love. He takes it later, what the Lord has prayed. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, you the believers, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. The power of this love of God in Jesus will change us. Let me end by drawing your attention to this, my friends, as we go. You remember that in this conversation in the upper room, in chapter 15, the Lord had been talking to them about bearing fruits, right? He says you should, you should bear fruits. In fact, that is what you're called to do. Let me, let me read it for you. I am the vine, the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. My father wants you to bear fruit. How are we going to do this? You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he tells them, this is how you will bear fruit. Remain in me as I also remain in you. I in them, they in me. That language in verse chapter 17. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we gaze on Jesus, as we trust him, as we depend on him, as we contemplate his beauty, as we talk about him, as we read of him, as he reveals to us the Father's will, as we see all these glories with him, as we wake up to him, and as we go to sleep with, um, 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 by him, and as we walk through the day contemplating Jesus, and his beauty and glory never leaves our eyes and hearts, you will not remain the same. The Holy Spirit takes that. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Now we can live a life of transformation. Not out of sheer self-will, but out of complete contemplation, thinking, meditating, talking, praying him into our hearts. The Christian life is challenging, and I don't have to tell you. You know it. I'm sure it is the same in Houston. It is certainly true in Accra. It is challenging. We need an outpouring, brothers. I need an outpouring. I need an outpouring and reassuring of the love of God in our lives, in my life to reinvigorate me. I need this love. I need my attention to be turned to Jesus. You need your attention to be turned to Jesus as well. Think of him more. Think of yourself less. And think of God more and what he has done for you in Christ. Think of it every day. You cannot continue to live anyhow if this love captivates you. How can I kick against such a father who has loved me so? 
How can I continue to kick against him? Thank God that Jesus prayed for us and continues to pray for us. Verse 23 again. I in them and you in me so that you may be brought to, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So our prayer should be this. I suggest our prayer. Father, please let the answer of our senior brother and our savior and our king, the Lord Jesus, let his prayer be made manifest in my life every day, in our lives every day. Let the power of your love, which you have displayed to us in him, captivate us and change us for your glory before the eyes of a watching world. Amen. Let me pray. Our Father, when we come on holy grounds like this, we only do so, Father, with fear and trembling that I dare share with my brothers and sisters these heavenly treasures, holy truths, that I dare come close to your glory and dare to explain it. What a glory. What an overwhelming glory. So I pray that in the hearts of brothers and sisters, you will please take it and drive it supernaturally into our soul, into our lives, into our bodies that we might be changed by it for the glory of God in the eyes of the world that is keenly watching us. Amen.